a sermon which brings us back to the, uh, the reason or the foundation in which uh, we uh, look to or which, which we began 14 years ago when we started faith. And uh, we're looking at the, the same passage that we looked at 14 years ago now. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll read from verses 36 to 42 this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 42. And it says there, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Let's uh, commit this time to the Lord. Uh, let's see what he has for us this morning, that it might be a blessing to us, and that we might continue to bless others. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you that we can celebrate in this way. And even though we are not together physically, we do thank you that we can still share um, these blessings together uh, and uh, we can still learn from your word. We do thank you for this congregation. We do thank you for the ways in which you have brought us together. Uh, and we do thank you for your continuing blessings upon us. So we do pray that this morning that you would be glorified in the message that uh, Jesus would be uh, um, the one who um, uh, this message points to. And I do pray that you would hide me behind that cross, that they would see Jesus and him crucified. We do thank you once again for your word. We thank you um, that it sustains us. We thank you that it feeds us and helps us to grow. And we do pray for your grace that we might continue to learn from it this morning and that we might grow a bit more today, that we might be a blessing to others and to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And there are many reasons uh, to celebrate when you have the Lord in your life. Um, when you're saved, uh, you have a destiny that's secure. When you're saved, you have Jesus in your life. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living within your heart. When you have the Word of God in your hand, you know and can learn and grow closer to God each and every day. When you experience the love of Christ in your life, you know it changes you from the inside out and you begin. You can begin to love others um, because you have been able to receive that love and you know now what real love is. So as we celebrate 14 years uh, at Faith Baptist Church, there are many reasons uh, to celebrate. And for many of us who have been there from the beginning, and I know there are some of you out there thinking how the years have flown by. But within those years have been many, many great memories. We have many uh, wonderful times that we can recall and remember and seeing the way in which God has uh, been evident uh, in church. We have been blessed in so many ways. Uh, and through the years, the two main blessings I'd like to, uh, to share this morning is one, obviously the Lord himself. 
His grace uh, began this church and it was His grace that has sustained this church. He has protected us over the years. He has granted us so many answers to prayers um, that we, we can't even count uh, anymore. Um, he has allowed us to, to witness and be part of lives that have changed in dramatic ways, in wonderful ways. And he has saved us and, uh, and he has saved people and changed them right in front of our eyes. So we have witnessed many wonderful things. And indeed, when the Bible says that he calls us to be witnesses, um, we indeed have witnessed uh, the ways in which God has worked and has changed us. In addition to this, he has added people to the church. Uh, throughout the years, which have blessed us with friendships and love and family. Uh, and this brings us to the second main blessing, the blessings of each other. Um, you've all been such a blessing to me, and I've shared this with you now already, but you've blessed my family, you've blessed me. Um, the work we do for the Lord uh, just reaps so many uh, blessings back to us that we can't count. So we do thank you. Uh, we thank the Lord for you each and every day. We derive great joy from seeing you grow in the faith and from growing in his grace, from seeing him work through you and seeing him actually uh, develop uh, you uh, to be godly people. We see that, uh, we see that when uh, you love one another, we see Jesus loving through you. Um, the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy he says in Third uh, John uh, one four, I have no greater joy than, than to hear that my children walk in truth, and that is indeed um, a huge joy that I have. The fact that you guys know your Bibles, that you you hold fast to it, that you believe it, and that you continue to grow through it in that truth um, is a is a great joy to me. Um, and I, it's the same joy that the Apostle John experienced when he sees uh, believers in the church walk in the truth. But it's one thing to learn the Bible, and I know many of you um, uh, know the Word of God and you know it very well. But it's another thing to see people walk in it, because walking in the truth is different to just knowing the truth. And uh, we are blessed when we see you walk in the truth, and we do see you walk in the truth. So our prayer is that you would continue to walk in that truth, because it actually gives us so much uh, joy to see that. Um, and this is what Jesus was speaking about when he said others would see um, uh, that they were genuine disciples of him um, when they would love each other. When that, when that love that they receive from Jesus flows through to each other. Uh, John chapter 13 verse 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And we see that love at Faith Baptist Church and we do praise God for that all the time because uh, when we see that love in faith baptist church that love that you have for each other uh, we uh, are confident that his love continues uh, to to work in our own hearts and continues to flow as well so today the message will focus on this passage of scripture that we have read um, and that's the the passage that the lord impressed upon us when we were just beginning the church we were seeking to plan a church 14 years ago that was as close as possible to what the Lord defines as a church, not what the world defines as a church, because many people say churches are this or that, but we wanted to do it the way the Lord um, wanted uh, uh, it, us to do it. And we wanted to define our church the way the Lord defines a church. So we went back to the beginning, literally the beginning of the church. And our desire was to be pure and to focus on those things that are important. 
So over, this, over the years, we have seen many other churches come and go because they were distracted from their main purpose, the main reason that they are here, uh, and they were distracted from the things they were supposed to be doing. So um, at faith, uh, we were determined to stay on that path that the Lord has placed us upon. In all of our celebrations today, the real reason for our celebration is Jesus. The real reason we are celebrating is Him, uh, His faithfulness, that He does not change. Um, and as we discovered uh, over the years, the Bible is perfectly true and unchanging because its author is perfectly true and unchanging. And that's why we can uh, continue to, to share this message that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So this sermon is all about glorifying God and his goodness. Our experience in our church is much like the experiences had by the early church. And I don't mean to say that we've gone through the same experiences or circumstances that they did. Um, but it's despite the circumstances, we are able to see the same amazing ways that God is working in our midst, as I'm sure they did when they were beginning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 with me, these two verses are quite strong and they are a blessing. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Our prayer is that um, this is true for Faith Baptist Church. We, our, our prayer is that we continue to see God doing abundant things through us beyond what we ask or think and we know that we don't even see a lot of the stuff that he does but the amazing thing to think about and to dwell upon this morning is that there is this power that works in us and that through us he's able to achieve unbelievable things so the glory goes all to him none to us um, there's no reason that we should glory uh, it's because it's His power, it's His love that flows through us and we just get to be part of this amazing amazing journey that He has uh, brought us uh, to and is walking with us on. So the praise is Jesus Christ and we have plenty to celebrate and you have plenty to celebrate if you have Him this morning. I'd like for us to look at uh, how the church began on the day of Pentecost uh, and in this passage today, we will see what defines a church and what the real church does, uh, what the things it focuses on. Um, we can then look at FBC in the light of the early church. And uh, what I'd like for us to see is how we're doing. And I'd like for you to ask yourself how you're doing as part of our church, um, because there's always an opportunity for us when we look at the word of God to examine ourselves and see, am I following what God wants me to do in my life and with respect to his church okay so acts chapter 2 verse 36 says therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god hath made the same that same jesus whom he you have crucified both lord and christ and when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then peter said unto them repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter had just delivered his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had descended upon the believers that were gathered in that upper room and they were praying um, and they had begun to speak in languages that they had never learned before. And they did that and they began speaking and, and prophesying and, and praying out loud um, in earshot of thousands of Jews who heard the disciples speaking in their own languages and they were astonished, astonished at what was going on. And Peter, in the midst of all that, because people said, what's going on here? Why are all these people all speaking and I can hear them in my own language? Peter then delivered a sermon. And that sermon was essentially the gospel to them because they were all believing Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem from all parts of the world um, for a feast, for a, uh, for a get-together to celebrate God. Um, and he delivers the gospel message to them. And it called them simply to believe that Jesus Christ, the one that had been crucified and had risen again from the grave, was both Lord and Christ to repent and turn to him and be baptized in his name. And he promised them that they too would receive the Holy Ghost as they had received it. Something occurred on that day which would change the world and the course of human history forever. Something so spiritually significant that God had made sure that there would be thousands of witnesses to see the result of the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the birth of his church. Go back with me to verse 1 of chapter 2 as we look at the beginning of the church and what happened. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So as the Spirit uh, allowed them, they began to speak. In When you see the word tongues, um, it's not the same tongues as you may have heard in other places. The tongue spoken about, that tongues, that word tongue simply means languages. So it just simply means that they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the words to speak. But can you imagine what they were experiencing on that day? Can you imagine the excitement of being part of this, of this movement of the Spirit um, that was speaking through them and empowering them to do uh, what they were doing? So just as um, this church or our church had a beginning 14 years ago, the church of Jesus Christ had a distinct beginning in the world. The church had not existed before this day before the date of Pentecost, and that was the date. Before that time, there existed the people of Israel, God's chosen people, and their mission was to bring the Messiah into the world. Those of you who know, Jesus is the descendant of the Jews. He's the descendant of King David, sorry, King David of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So their job was to maintain that line, to write down the words of God. That's who we get the Old Testament from. In fact, we get the whole Bible from the Jews. Uh, so their job was to record the word of God. God sent them prophets. God recorded the words of history and his interaction with them. 
they were to be God's special messengers to the world. And when their, their Messiah arrived, when the Messiah arrived, the Christ arrived, they were to receive him as their king. Now, that didn't happen. But at Pentecost, God was beginning something new. God was signing off on a whole new agreement with man. You see, um, most of you who are listening to this uh, sermon or, or a part of this service this morning are not Jewish in background. We are Gentiles. And because of the new covenant that God has made with man, we have become included in that covenant. So God now does not in the church distinguish between Jew and Gentile. God is rounding everyone up who has chosen to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is what we call the New Testament or the new agreement. And that new agreement was signed off and ratified and, and shows its evidence when God sent um, his Holy Spirit down and the church began at Pentecost. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1 with me. This is the new agreement. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them, this is Jesus speaking, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, they therefore were come together. Uh, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. But ye shall receive, now these are the important words, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what we saw happening. That's what we see in chapter 2 of Acts. The Holy Ghost came upon them, and they began to be witnesses of Jesus, starting in Jerusalem, which is where they were in the upper room, and then they spread out to Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, even Australia. The promise of God's Holy Spirit had not yet come unto this point. And though John had baptized with water, Jesus would promise them, Jesus promised that they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Unlike, unlike previous generations upon whom the Holy, Holy Ghost fell, and we see that in the Old Testament, we see people like uh, Samson and Gideon and, and people whom the Holy Ghost fell upon and empowered them to do a specific job. Um, and he came upon the prophets as well, and he came upon King David as well. He empowered them to do specific things and to fulfill missions in their life. Now the difference would be that he would permanently indwell believers who had received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 6, ver sorry, verse 16. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. And Jesus um, prays here. To the Father. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, And he shall give you another comforter, another one, like him, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Now listen to these words very carefully. But ye know him. 
for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Notice the language that Jesus uses to his disciples back in John chapter 14. He had not been crucified yet. And he's praying uh, for uh, his disciples. And for those who would put their trust in him, he says, you know what? Um, I'm going to send you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he says the world can't receive him. It doesn't know him. Um, I find it funny um, when cults um, uh, insist, and I use the word cults to define pe- the uh, particular groups who call themselves Christians that actually aren't. Um, they insist that one of the telltale signs of a cult is uh, groups that believe the Holy Spirit is not an actual person, but is simply a force. Okay, Now here, this particular verse says that you can know him. Know. Now that word know is not understand. That word know is to know personally. Just like you know Jesus or you know someone else on a personal level. Um, so the Holy Spirit can be known. In fact, the Holy Spirit can be seen. Okay, But the disciples knew him because Jesus was with them. So that when they were seeing Jesus, the Holy Spirit was actually working through Jesus and leading Jesus in every step of his life. He was already dwelling with them. And that's the operative word here. But that at some time in the future, Jesus said that he would send them this comforter who would be in them. So the disciples, while they were following Jesus, had the Holy Spirit with them, upon them, leading them, but was not in them. It was something that had to occur in the future. That means that during their time with Christ, they were not inhabited by, they were only led by. Um, That not only became a living truth for them when they received the Spirit of God at Pentecost, but then they were... um, not just indwelt by the Spirit, but locked in by the Spirit. They were sealed by the Spirit. At Pentecost, it was was one significant day when they received the Holy Ghost and the church was born. This new thing had started that had never happened before. And this is one very significant difference between the Old Testament saints and New Testament. It's that the Holy Spirit indwells and seals a believer until the day they go home. And that only exists within the church. Through Christ and through the blood that was shed that cleansed us from all sins, God gave us a new nature within. The Bible says he gave us a new heart. He gave us a new nature. He made it fit. He made us a fit habitation for the Spirit. That was not possible before Jesus shed his blood on that cross. And it's only because Jesus shed his blood and we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and we receive continual cleansing. Are we now capable to become dwelling places for the Spirit of God? Um, he can now live within us because... God made the house within us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9 with me as we continue to look at this specific point. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, which means bring to life, your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now Paul declared that if the Spirit of God dwells within you, then you belong to God. You, you belong to him. You are his. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. And that's the distinguishing factor between a saved and an unsaved person. You have eternal life because God dwells within you. And if the, if the one who rose Jesus from the grave on that third day dwells within you, then you too shall be raised up from the grave if your mortal body dies. In fact, you may not die. The Bible says there may come a day when God simply calls you home. But the amazing thing is that, that the promise to us is that if God's Spirit dwells within you, then you cannot die. That's what Jesus was speaking about. And that there's, death cannot hold you just as death could not hold him. And this is the story of the beginning of the church. And the Spirit of God still moves today and inhabits the hearts of men and women who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and are cleansed by his blood. So the definition of church is a collection of people who have repented and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. They have been born again anew. There's a new nature that's been placed within them. It's a new place and it's a, a place where the Holy Spirit can take up residence and seal that person. Which means that person will then never die. Let's see what they did in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. So we've got the definition of a church now. The definition of the church are born-again believers who have been saved by the blood of Christ because they've repented and they've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's as simple as it is. It's no more complicated than that. No special ceremonies. There are no things to do, candles to light, people to pay. There's nothing else you need to do. You want to be part of God's church? You want to, you want to um, uh, be saved forevermore? then simply receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repent, which means change your mind about what you were doing before and turn to Him. Understand that He died on the cross to pay for your sins which were sending you to hell. So your attitude towards sin is going to change. You're going to turn away from your sin and you're going to turn to Christ. And you're going to now start following Him rather than following sin. That is the difference in nature that a person has when they repent and Jesus gives you a whole new nature. And that changes us from the inside out. Okay, And helps us to see the world in a very, very different way. We now begin to see it from God's perspective. But let's have a look and see what happened when the Apostle Peter shared this message with them about the gospel. And the Holy Spirit had come upon them and said, well, this can happen to you too. You can have this as well, which is what the gospel is. Whoever's received uh, salvation is telling everyone else, you can have what I have. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. We're not trying to force people. What we're saying is we have something, something which is so amazing. We want everyone to have what we have. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 then tells us what happened after that. What they did in response to the message. It says, then 
they that gladly received his word. So there were those who gladly heard what, what they were being told and said, yeah, I like this. I'm going to receive this for myself. It says they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now imagine that. Imagine 3,000 people being saved in one day. What a glorious day that would have been. would have been absolutely amazing to be there on that day. And it says that they were baptized. Now, what does that mean though? Well, when we're baptized on the water, what we're doing is making a public proclamation. We're telling everyone else, we're demonstrating physically what's happened to us in a spiritual sense. That's why we fully immerse someone when uh, they're baptized. It represents dying being buried under the earth and rising up again to new life. It's a picture of death, burial and resurrection. It's the new life that God's given you. Baptism is always done by full immersion in the Bible. That's why I attend a Baptist church. Because not all churches baptize like this. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the, one of the uh, telltale uh, things about actually the word Baptist really came from the word Anabaptist and it was a bit of a derogatory term used in the Middle Ages for people who um, were baptizing people again. People that weren't satisfied with their baby baptism when they were sprinkled with some water um, and they said, no, but that's not right. And so they insisted on being baptized uh, underwater as Jesus was baptized because they see in the Bible every instance, every example is baptism underwater. And that it represents death, burial, and resurrection to new life in Jesus. So that, this was a derogatory term. It was a slang term. It was meant to make fun of them. And it stuck. That's why we're still called Baptists today. But baptism is always done by full immersion in the Bible. And baptism always follows faith. You notice in verse 41 it says, They gladly received the word, which means they received Jesus. They accepted it. They believed the message. And then they were baptized. Baptism in water always follows faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. You will never ever see in any page in the Bible a baby being baptized. You will never ever see a baby being sprinkled or anyone's being sprinkled because it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's meant to be a picture to everyone else. It's a public proclamation. First of all, a baby can't make a proclamation. A baby doesn't know about right or wrong or faith in Jesus Christ. But a person who understands the truth and understands that they're a sinner and understands that Jesus came to save them, they can make a public, a public proclamation. They can show everyone, look, this is what happened to me. Let me show it to you. Anything less than full immersion is not biblical baptism. Even the word baptism is a Greek word, is, is a transliteration, which is, means we grabbed a, a Greek word and made it English. Okay, The Greek word was baptizo. Baptizo, we've turned into baptism, which means the original meaning of the Greek word was to dip or immerse under. Well, sprinkling doesn't do that. But it says, then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added to who? Well, added to those first believers in that upper room. Once they had been baptized in water, the Bible says they were then 
added to the church on the same day. The term added means they were added to something that was already there, which was the, the, the original believers, the disciples. That's why at faith, when, we, when someone is baptized, we add them to our church. That's the biblical way of doing things. You see, if you were not a believer before um, and you believed, you put your faith in Christ, that baptism showed everyone else that you were now, you had now chosen to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you were saying, my old life is gone. I want to start a new life with Christ. I am starting a new life with Christ and I'm now born again. And so that was the open door or the open proclamation that said, they're one of us now. Add them on. And that's what we do with faith. We add people to our, um, um, our membership when they've been baptized. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not part of God's universal church because everyone who was, uh, puts their faith in Christ is automatically saved. But the question then is, which church do you belong to? And that's what water baptism declares. It declares to everyone else, I'm now a believer and I'm now choosing to follow Christ in this church family. And that's what baptism is really all about. Um, it says, they believed, they were baptized, they were added to the church. That's the simple order of things. Believe, baptized, added to the church. You can't baptize a baby and add them to the church. That's why you will never see in the Bible someone who is a baby who is a Christian or baby who is part of a church because you can't. The babies are God's domain. God takes care of babies. God doesn't send babies to hell because they've done no right or no wrong. That's for God to take care of. The whole notion of God sending a baby to a place called limbo is a man-made concept which never existed and neither does a place called purgatory exist. That is nowhere to be found in the Bible. So let's continue and see in, in verse 42 what they then did once they were added to the church. Look at verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The real church is one that continues continues steadfastly, one that holds on to the important things. As a church, and they're listed for us here in this particular, in one, in one verse. As a church, as a group, we have been called to be steadfast in these things. And over the past 14 years, I believe that we have obeyed this particular calling of our Saviour. We have been steadfast. I believe we have we've held fast to the truth of God's uh, of God's word. We have held fast to these things, and I want to describe these things a little bit more in depth for you. Notice how it says they held fast, they they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now that's a little bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? Because we don't see that phrase used too often. But many of us would understand that the apostles were the ones who had followed Jesus. Those twelve minus minus Judas, who uh, who was fallen. Um, they became they were disciples while they followed Jesus on the earth, but then he called them to be apostles. Now, they were apostles because they were entrusted with the very words and teachings of Jesus. 
He didn't equip them for three and a half years to then go and have a holiday. He equipped them for three years of ministry because they were meant to understand the truths and teachings and then to be the ones to establish the actual church and to be the reference point for people who might have been bringing in other things that weren't precisely true. They were the ones who had the responsibility of teaching the truth as we know it today. So some of those apostles were led by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospels as we know them. So we know Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but we also know uh, the Apostle Paul and James and we know Jude. And they were called to write those doctrines down, to write those things which were important for the church to understand. Uh, we call this the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is also one of those apostles. The other important role the apostles played in the early church was to be the standard for true doctrine. What it was and what it was not. So they were called to be the reference point, to be, help begin the church, to share the word. They were called to be the, the, the writers of the New Testament. They were called to be the standard. You know why they needed to be the standard? Because the New Testament was not completed yet. The church, as it grew quickly, did not have the New Testament as we have it today. It was still being written. It was still being um, uh, copied and, and, uh, and multiplied. It took a while for that, those words to be not only recorded, and we know that Revelation was recorded when, around 90 AD, so it took a while for the, for the book to be finally finished. But by the time John wrote Revelation, and then Revelation began to be copied and spread to the, to the various churches around the world at that stage, it took a while, which means that for a while, the church didn't have the full New Testament, which is why you needed these apostles around, which is why you also have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as prophesying and, 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 and speaking in tongues, because the New Testament was not complete. So God supplemented the New Testament with the apostles, with the, um, with the prophesying, where God would give people direct messages, and with speaking in tongues, which is why they're no longer required today. We don't have apostles today. We don't need tongues today, and we don't need prophesying today, because the Word of God is complete today. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Because we now have the full revelation, we have everything we need now. We, don't, we no longer need further information outside of that. When we want to, when we want to um, uh, gauge or to uh, determine whether a doctrine is true or whether it's wrong or whether something's false or whether it's correct, where do we go? We go to the Bible because the Bible is complete and pure and it's the place that determines what's right and what's wrong. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In God's word, we find everything we need that pertains to life and godliness 
through the word of God, we come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you took away the Bible, how would you know about Jesus Christ? How would you know about his, the way he saved us, about his love for us, about the nature of God? And you couldn't get to know him better without the word of God. So the word of God is that the Bible calls itself milk for babes and it calls itself meat for the mature. In other words, we feed and grow through it. And that growth is knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the truth, and knowledge on how to live like Jesus in this world. Um, we have everything we need in the Word, and that's why we can be confident um, when we read from the Bible, because it does not change. And that's because its author doesn't change. The Bible we read in our hands is the same Bible that those same apostles were writing. And you can be confident that the Apostles' Doctrine is what's being taught here in Faith Baptist Church because the Bible is the foundation of everything we do. And Jesus Christ is the centre of everything we do. So, the fact that the early church was following the Apostles' Doctrine or steadfastly holding on to the Apostles' Doctrine is what we do at faith. Then it says that we're steadfast in fellowship. And I know we have good fellowship here at church, as Mir has already suggested. I, I do miss the cooking. I do miss our get-togethers on a, on a monthly basis uh, where we have a, a meal together and I enjoy every, all the different foods you guys bring in. Um, and I, I'm longing to, for, that, for that day, not for the food, you know that, um, but for the time we spend together, the chats we have, the, the blessings we are to each other, the encouragement we are, um, the, the comfort we are. There is a, a, a sweet spirit of love uh, for the brethren uh, at our church. I appreciate that and I see that. Um, and fellowship is not just having a cuppa together. It isn't just about eating together or spending time together. It's much so much more than that. Uh, let me share a list of uh, some verses that speak about this type of fellowship that I believe exists at faith and that the early church experienced. Look at... Well, I'll read these out to you. You can list them down, but I'll just read them out. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians 6.2 says, bear, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So hold, help, help each other up with our burdens. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We do that at faith. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We do that at faith. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I believe we do that at faith. And Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I believe we do that of faith. And even though we can't meet together, our manner, what we do is not that. That's not our nature. We want to get together. The circumstances may not allow us, but I still see, see us exhorting each other, exhorting one another, and seeking and wanting to be together. So as we read through these verses, I hope you gain a slightly better understanding of what true fellowship is. 
Um, and that is done when we genuinely love one another as Jesus has loved us. That's what it means to want to be together. You know, if you, if you love someone, you want to be with those people. You want to be with that person. You want to encourage them. You care for them. You're looking out for them. You want the best for them. And that's what I see of faith. And then it tells us that they were steadfast in breaking bread. What's breaking bread? Well, breaking bread is not just a meal that they were getting together. In It was the, the commemoration of the sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of the world. As we celebrate the Lord's table, and we long to celebrate that, that Lord's table again uh, together, we are called not only to remember what he has done for us, but we're looking forward to a time when we will all be gathered together with him, our family all together forevermore. And we're also called to examine ourselves and, and see how our lives are together, what our relationship is like with him. Luke 22.19 says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Breaking of bread is something that faith does. We remember Jesus. We, it's a memorial of how wonderful he is and what a wonderful sacrifice he made. Finally, it tells us that, uh, that we should pray, that they were steadfast in prayer or prayers. Prayers is, prayer is our conversation with God. And it's only really available to those who are born again, obviously. A person who is not born again and saved, really, God doesn't listen to their prayers. It's only a person who is saved that can glorify God and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. It's only really a person who is saved that can experience and show the love of Christ for the brethren as well. But prayer is that privilege we now have where we can actually come before individually and as a group and as a family um, together before God's throne. It's lovely to pray to God one-on-one. -on -one. It's lovely to have that interaction with Him. But how lovely is it when we all come before Him together? Isn't that an amazing thing uh, we have together when we pray together as a church? And I do uh, long to be together, to pray together in that way. Um, but what is prayer? I mean, prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. The real purpose of prayer is not to inform God or you know, say, God, did you know about this? No. Well, he knows everything. He knows our needs. He knows who's sick. He knows who's, who's in need. Um, it's not to convince him of our worthiness. No, he knows us completely. He knows our shortfalls. He knows our strengths. Uh, and the strengths really come from him anyway. So it's not to change him. It's not to influence him. The real purpose of prayer is to bring us in conformity and into line with God's will. It changes us. The more we speak with God, the more that, that interaction occurs, the more we're changed, the more we're aware of what his will is, the more we grow in our relationship with him and he reveals more to us. Prayer is intended to bring us into a deeper fellowship with God, to help us to get, to get us to know Him uh, better. Prayer is a conversation which leads to a stronger relationship. And as 1 Timothy says in chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peace, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's what prayer leads us to. 
We are praying for each other. We pray for our needs. We're praying that we might lead a peaceable life in godliness and honesty. And we even pray for those who are our adversaries, those who don't like us, those who consider themselves our enemies. And we pray for our leaders. The ultimate purpose of prayer is that God is glorified when he listens to those prayers and answers those prayers to his children. So the church is a place of doctrine, of God's truth, of fellowship, of breaking of bread and prayer. Without these essential ingredients, it is not a real church. And this is the legacy that has been left to us from the beginning church, the church that began on the day of Pentecost. This is the legacy that we should desire to leave to the next generation of believers if the Lord should tarry. FBC, please think of this carefully, is a descendant of that church that began at Pentecost. It is the same spirit that dwells in us, that dwelt in them. It is the same baptism we perform. It is the same doctrine that we hold and the word of God that we have. It is the same type of fellowship that we enjoy. It is the same remembrance of the Lord's table and the same God we pray to. So my encouragement to you, I want to share with you just one more passage as I close this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. This is us. This is Faith Baptist Church in the light of the church of Christ, who he said shall never be defeated despite the gates of hell coming up against it because he is in it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, Now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizen with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Our small church in Faulkner, and wherever you are seated now, our small church in Faulkner called Faith Baptist Church is part of a building that God himself is building for some 2,000 years. We are as part of that. An awesome foundation built upon the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ, that, that, that central cornerstone. Happy anniversary, Faith Baptist Church. Never, ever forget that God dwells in you. God bless you all. I hope you have an awesome day and I'm looking forward to seeing you all again very soon.